Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. If you hadn't noticed, I got a little extra pep in my step today based on our podcast guest, who I'll give you a little bit of his biography right now. He hails from Laval, Quebec. He played four years at the University of Vermont, where, Jeff, he had 265 points in his college career, almost two points a game. Uh, After his college career, he signed with Calgary, and it actually wasn't until his fourth year professionally that he became a regular in the NHL with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But since then, he has scored over 1,000 points He's won an Olympic gold medal. He's won an Art Ross, a Hart Trophy, a Lady Bing, a Ted Lindsay, and he has now just been inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame. One of my favorite players of all time. I don't know why, uh, but uh, he's a great interview. It was awesome Mart- having Martin St. Louis on the podcast here today. But before we do get over to Marty, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today, man? Not much, Tobski. Had an unbelievable day. Great to be back in the gym on a Monday with the boys after the weekend you and I had. And uh, couldn't be more excited having a, having a hockey genius such as Marty St. Louis on the podcast. So it was a pretty good day. It was awesome talking hockey with him for sure. Like it was yeah. uh, towards, especially towards the last half of the episode when we really started getting into the nitty gritty and talking some puck. Like it was really cool to hear his point of view, and and I certainly learned a ton from from listening to him talk. So it, I mean, you know, I went into this, you know, he's he's my hero, you know, he's my idol. I I wore number twenty six in college. I wore number twenty six in pro. Um, you know, there's, when we were growing up, there weren't very many guys of, of our size. He's probably got a couple inches on me, but, <laughs> um, that made it to, to the NHL and he did it with heart. He did it with passion. He did it with determination. And, uh, so, so cool for me to, to be able to talk some hockey with him because it was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, he definitely has a couple inches on you in all the right areas, in his thighs, I'm talking about his thighs are <laughs> massive. His thighs are massive. And, of course, I had to ask him about those bad Larrys on the podcast because <laughs> I wanted to know about those things. None of the boys would have uh, would have been happy with me if I didn't ask him how he got those those bad mamma jammas. So he was a great sport. And, yeah, at the end of the podcast, like, he really started opening up and talking about some things that I think a lot of people are going to get some uh, some good knowledge out of. Yeah, yeah, it was unreal. I mean, it was a bunch of guys that are passionate about the game, talking hockey. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can clearly see that when when he played. You know, he wore his heart on his sleeve. He was an emotional player. Um, and uh, it was he was such a joy to watch for me. And, 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 again, he was the guy I was in the basement emulating all the time. And uh, to be able to interview him on, on our podcast today, uh, it was really, really cool. I was trying really hard at the beginning. It's funny. So I'll just say it right now. I totally choked in the first question. <laughs> I was like so excited to talk to him. And I was like, uh, so, uh, yeah, you grew up in Quebec. How was that? <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Uh, I don't even remember what I said, but I just remember we we're talking on Skype and I just remember looking at you and giving you a look like, did I just say that? Yeah. Like what an idiot. But he was, he was great. It's like in Harry Potter when he's trying to say Diagon Alley and he goes diagonally. <laughs> Muncie and I always laugh about that. It was really funny watching your face. It was uh, it was cool to watch, man. I mean, you don't get to all, most people don't get to have a conversation with their heroes, so that was really cool to watch you be able to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think uh, it was a really enlightening conversation. Really cool to hear about his journey. Um, from where he got to again a lot of times on this podcast when we do talk to to guys that have gone on to play pro hockey play in the NHL we've had quite a few of them on here now um, it, it's amazing to talk to them about how it was hard you know it wasn't a straight path it was ups and downs and everything all along the way and uh, to hear kind of his story and to him talk about his story specifically how um, you know it, it was tough for him being a smaller guy in that era um, to, to make it. And it wasn't until, like I said, his fourth year pro that he really became a regular in the NHL and he signed in Tampa Bay. And then once he got that opportunity and a uh, little bit of belief from the coaching staff that he played for, I mean, obviously NHL hall of famer now. Is that, 
Is that good when you're a Hall of Famer in the NHL? I don't know. Yeah, not bad. I guess. (laughs) Did I break it? Yeah, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah, man. I mean, a lot of the info that that he was dishing out was really cool and talking about, you know, not just playing fast and and running into crap or whatever he said. It was pretty funny, Um, but but like thinking the game and like think fast don't always have to skate fast you know it was uh don't rush think some fast don't rush right that, yeah that was yeah and I, think fast but don't rush and then i was totally getting flashes of like him like when he was talking about the way that he would think on the ice and how to um you know play deceptively with this speed so that he could get space. It totally just brought me back to like us playing together in the tournaments that we got to play. And even us skating in the charity game the other day and you doing that exact same thing, like sprinting at a D man, pulling up, backing up and then throwing some sick sauce. I was like, I was like, yeah, I totally see how you emulated him when you played is is pretty cool. Yeah. No, he was, he was my hero, man. It was so cool watching him, play in my formative years in, in high school and college and stuff. And, uh, you know, not many guys of that size made it. And, uh, I would probably say that I got as far as I did in my career, you know, partly because of his inspiration. So, um, thank you to Marty for coming on the podcast. Thank you to Roger Grillo for helping set that up as well. So appreciate that. Um, uh, but Thanks, yeah, Roger. Yeah. We, we should talk about the weekend though, man. It was an unbelievable weekend in Chicago, uh, with the first ever Hockey Think Tank Hockey Development Conference, uh, followed by our Chicago Hockey Charity Classic uh, charity game benefiting Special Olympics Chicago. So I think let's start with the conference first, man. I mean, I had a blast. I learned a ton. Uh, what was your kind of takeaways from it? Yeah, man, I learned a lot. And I, I loved the booklet that you had set up and had out for everybody. And it was very professional. And it was, you know, was able to have a, something to bring home. Everybody had everybody had something to take home with them, like something tangible, something physical. Uh, that was a great idea by you. And I loved all the presenters, everything they said. It was like, wow, like, oh, I didn't think of that. Or like, yes, like I kind of think the same way. And it was cool how it was interactive. It wasn't just people talking at you it was you know if you had something to say you could hey raise your hand say something let's talk about it i thought that was very cool yeah i mean that was the whole point of the conference was uh to make sure that it was interactive and you're able to that was one of the cooler things too um i thought that we did was uh, the breakout sessions where you got to sit in little small groups and talk to all the speakers that were there and and they all stayed around for it too i mean connor carrick and ryan hartman are nhl players Derek lalonde assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, and uh, I made sure that those guys were in my group, so <laughs> I was able to, to listen to them talk. But it was cool. I mean, so for the listeners, what we did, um, we had our speakers, we had some panels and stuff, and then we also broke into small groups, and we split it into three different areas. We had uh, um, a systems and concepts group, we had a skill development group, and then we had an off-ice group. And uh, it was really cool. Paul Goodman was great, too, the head strength and conditioning coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. He didn't just talk. He had us all doing these exercises and stuff. I think there were a few people that were actually a little bit sore the next day. But uh, as as another strength coach, how did you feel like he was? And did you take something out of it? I saw on Instagram you were actually doing some of the stuff that he taught us over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, something that he literally taught all of us. I had my pros doing this morning. I found a way to work it into um, their training session today, and I, I like I love it. I, re- I really like his philosophies and my my own personal philosophies really, um, you know, it's not 100%. No two strength coaches are going to be the same, but like a lot of what I've been doing and thinking is what he does. Like, so it's really cool for me and kind of validation for me that a guy who's won three Stanley Cups he's training them the way that for the most part, the way that I've been training my guys. So for me, it was cool to, to hear that from somebody who I look up to, um, super nice guy, super intelligent guy. And all the things he said, I think a lot of people it opened a lot of those older coaches eyes to what you can do with no equipment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is- cause every, every team doesn't have a strength coach. Every team doesn't have a gym, especially amateur teams, which is most of the coaches. So like, and that's okay. You don't need that. There's so many little things and big things you can do to get better with literally only your body or bands or, you know, like, some, you know, partners. So, um, it was really cool. And then on top of that, like, you know, very cool, Ryan Hartman and Connor Carrick, the common, 
you know, I, I feel like I'm always pumping the guy's tires, but I really like that Connor Carrick kid, man. He's he is a, a good stud. dude. He is a good person. He's a good role model. Um, it, it, any of our listeners, it, listen to the podcast we did with Connor Carrick a few weeks ago. Follow the guy on Instagram. Have your kids following on Instagram. He's somebody that people should look up to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he actually positive just, role model. Yeah, and follow him. Yeah, his Instagram is unbelievable. He's such an inspiration. And uh, he actually just did a uh, another podcast with Craig Custance from the Athletic. He's one of the top NHL writers in the game. And uh, Craig actually gave us a shout out uh, oh, on funny. our podcast because that's kind of where he. Um, yeah, I had done some work for Craig in the athletic last year and he's an unbelievable guy, unbelievable writer. So thanks to him for the shout out on his podcast that I'm sure has <laughs> a few listeners. Actually, I know he's got a ton of listeners, um, with that. So, um, hey, and, and he came on our podcast early on. So for any of the new listeners go back in the archives, one of our earliest podcasts was with one of the best NHL writers in the game today, Craig Custins. And he gave us so much good information. Like we asked him some pretty cool questions that, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people get to ask that high level of an NHL journalist. So I, I thought that was a really cool podcast. Check it out if you guys haven't heard it. Yeah, yeah, unreal. And then just the whole rest of the day. I mean, it's just a validation, too, of how many good good people there are in hockey. Um, you know, Derek Lalonde, assistant coach from Tampa Bay, like literally he saw on social media that we were doing this and I had known him from, you know, just the, the hockey world before. And he just, he reached out and he was like, Hey, I'm actually in Chicago that day. Uh, <laughs> mind if I come? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so no yeah, yeah. Newsy is awesome. one of the best. And to hear him talk about how he coaches, his topic was how, you know, coaching the best players in the world. And so he talked about some of the things that they do with uh, with Victor Hedman and Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos and um, showed a bunch of great video clips and some of the things that they do with them. So that was really, really cool. I thought Ryan Hardy was awesome um, oh, with his presentation. Just, Ryan Hardy. What a guy. You have a man, you have a man crush Hart. on him. I know you do. But you he know was, what? I like genuine people, man. He's a genuine <laughs> person. He says what he feels. I really like Mr. Hardy. But don't get a fat head, Ryan. Episode 18, he kept saying all weekend, hey, <laughs> hey I'm on it. Listen to Hockey Think Tank episode 18. He's a good dude. Yeah, but even Spudsy Josh Pauls, you know, the um, captain of the USA Sled Olympic team, he was amazing. Our agent panel, we had three NHL agents that came on. Um, Brian Kane and, and Anders Sorensen, who are two of the leaders in the skill development wor- world, talking about um, the present and the future of skill development. So, uh, I mean, just an, an amazing day. really was. The feedback that we got from everybody that was there was really positive and um, just can't, can't be – I can't be more proud of the work that everybody did there. So thank you to everybody that got involved. Thank you to power player and gel sticks for sponsoring the event. Um, that was awesome from them. And, uh, we did videotape it. So I got a lot of questions from people on social media and by email, um, if it was going to be available. So I have no idea how we're going to get it out to the world yet, but, uh, we did have it videotaped. So at some point in the, uh, in the future, we will get that out there, uh, because it was, uh, it was really cool. Yeah, totally agree, man. You, you you killed it. It's really cool. And for all the listeners, Tof, like I am on this podcast with Topher. I don't set anything up. It's literally, I mean, I, we, I set up podcasts, but Tof does all of that stuff. It is not me. So when you're like, oh, thank you, <laughs> don't thank me. Thank Topher. Topher did the charity game. Topher did the hockey think tank conference. It's not me. It's Tof. He's a genius. He's the man. No, 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 Luckily, no, no. I know him, and he invites me to these things, and uh, you know, I have some fun. But uh, it, very cool stuff, Tof. You killed it. I know you're not gonna. You're gonna be weird, so don't even make a comment. But uh, back to Marty <laughs> St. Louis. Well, actually, we, hold on one more one more thing before we do go over to Marty. I just want to mention the charity game that we did over the weekend, too, because there were a lot of people that stepped up for that. Um, you know, Brian King got a lot of the players. Kevin Magnuson, who's an NHL agent, um, he spearheads a lot of it, too. He is uh, a part of Special Olympics Chicago. He used to be the president. Now he's on the board. Um, a lot of great players. But, uh, so one of the players we need to talk about is Kendall Coyne, Schofield. <gasps> She's <gasps> nasty. <gasps> She's sick, dude. So good. She so she had four goals so in the good. game, 
And she was pro- like, she was unreal. And Alyssa too, Alyssa Gillardi, who's a hockey think tanker, like she was nasty too. And oh, just watching nasty. them play, I was like, I mean, it was it was pretty cool. But you know, having them out there, Dale Talon, unbelievable guy, uh, came out to be a guest coach. Ryan Hartman played in it again. Um, JT Comfort, unreal at hockey too. Holy crap! And he just signed a ticket. Uh, what was it, like three three point five a year for the next three or four years in Colorado? So. Um, you can tell in those games <laughs> how good they are. But, uh, yeah, it went off. Like, the charity game was so much fun. Um, got to play on a line with you and, and my father, so that was uh, that was pretty special. And uh, just all around raised a lot of money and, and raised a lot of awareness for, uh, for a great cause in Special Olympics Chicago. So um, thank you to everybody that came. Thank you to everybody that donated and sponsored. And uh, the one thing that I did want to mention, too, that I think was the best part of the entire day was Kendall Coyne uh, at our reception beforehand. She actually presented an autographed jersey to a young girl that was there and um, did a whole big thing where we kind of brought her up there. And the smile on that girl's face after Kendall gave her the jersey is honestly a moment that I don't think I'll ever forget in my entire life because it was like literally pure elation and pure joy. And it just goes to show you the fact that um, how much of an influence you know we can have, especially people like Kendall and JT and 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 all those you know heavy hitter type people that came. Just what an unbelievable influence. And Patrick Kane's been like that when he's played in our charity games. Unfortunately, he couldn't come this year, but um, just they just light up the room and light up all the people around. And and that that little girl's face, I will never forget it till the day that I die. Yeah, that was really cool seeing that. Like no, no doubt. I mean. It's kind of like you and Marty St. Louis. That's what you looked like when he answered the phone. So I guess I saw stars in your eyes. Hey, we got to we got to thank uh, the boys at Centennial for having that yes. after party because, um, you know, I'm not a big alcohol guy. I don't like the taste of alcohol. Like, don't like the taste of beer. Whatever they had there, I actually really liked the taste of it. The food was money and just super nice humans. So, um, if you're in downtown Chicago, check out Centennial. Yeah, that was cool too, and and so we had a little bit of a I don't even call it an after party, but a little social gathering after our conference on uh, Saturday, uh, where a bunch of the speakers and uh, and the participants came to. So we had quite a few people there, and just over a couple beers, got to sh- shoot the breeze and talk some more hockey and a little bit more of a relaxed setting. And uh, I know for me, like I've legitimately on the road recruiting, uh, you know, after long tournaments and stuff, just sitting around having some wings and shooting the breeze with some college and pro scouts and um, I learned a ton from hockey that way and uh, I got a lot out of that too I think a lot of the participants did in Centennial they were they were awesome for sure so good call on that shout out as well yeah definitely and it must have been really windy since you're shooting all those breezes down (laughs) I'm saying that a lot right sorry um Well, you know, usually you say shoot this something else, but you say shoot the breeze on, on, yeah, on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. But uh, no, hey, I think we've talked enough. I, I think we should get over to Marty because this was uh, such an awesome conversation. Uh, thank you again to him for, for coming on and, and sharing his wisdom and knowledge and journey. And uh, so without further ado, let's head it on over to Martin St. Louis. We are so excited to have on this episode of the Hockey Think Tank podcast, Martin St. Louis, one of my favorite players of all time and uh, one of the top uh, players of our era growing up. So, Marty, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking some time out of your uh, out of your drive home from uh, from your summer vacation up in uh, up in Quebec. And uh, speaking of Quebec, that's where you grew up. And uh, just wanted to ask you, kind of starting off, it's what we do with a lot of our guests, how you fell in love with the game um, up there. So if you could just tell us how uh, how you fell in love with it. Well, I just think uh, growing in uh, Montreal, like. You know, being a Habs fan, my parents, my dad just, you know, watching the Canadians every Saturday night and uh, all the outdoor ranks. Everybody skates up there. Like, everybody plays hockey. I mean, if you don't play hockey, you you know, you're, uh, you're, you're probably, you know, either very sick or, you know, you <laughs> don't have, you just can't, you don't have the, the, 
you're not around a rink, I guess. Not sick in a way that, that, that I'm just seeing, like, unfortunately sick. Yeah. That because uh, everybody plays, you know, and uh, they might all have another sport, but when I grew up, everybody played. Uh, they might not play organized, but everybody played hockey. Uh, so, uh, so for me, I just did what all the other kids in the neighborhood did and, and uh, played a lot in the outdoor ranks and tried to organize. And, uh, so it was easy for me because I was around it all the time. So it was easy to fall in love with something that you were exposed to so much at a young age. And obviously, you know, the, uh, having the Canadians, uh, you know, in the backyard and the success they've had and, you know, obviously the, all the cups they've won and being able to see that. They won 86, I was 11. They won some in the 70. I was born in 75, but uh, I was I was too young. Uh, but I saw the 86 and 93 cup, which was pretty cool. So grow, growing up at, at that age, because you're 10 years older than Topher and I, were, was hockey a year-round thing back then, or were you taking summers off to play other sports? How did that work when you were coming up? No, I was uh, – you played other sports. Uh, I mean, I played soccer. Some kids played baseball. Um, you know, hockey kind of went from, you know, late August to, you know, April maybe, you know, and maybe even a little earlier than that. Then we jumped into what was next, you know, for me was soccer. Uh, we did, uh, I think my, my era, we started a little, I feel like we started the summer hockey, um, and, um, we, not till I was a peewee, I, uh, played in a couple summer tournament, uh, but it was literally like just show up and go play kind of thing. And, but it was, you know, it was only the best of the best got to play. You know, it wasn't everybody playing. Uh, so it was really, it was actually fun to to really, I'd go to Toronto or Ottawa and actually we did a trip to Vancouver. Uh, but uh, it wasn't like till I was about 12 that we started doing that. We only did it for a couple of years because after that, that's uh, done, but like second year, second year Pee Wee, first year Bannon kind of thing. And, uh, uh, it was fun to go measure yourself against, I guess, the best. But now everybody plays year round, so the AAA is not really AAA. Everybody's AAA. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Marty, because got to talk to you know a few of the guys that coached you growing up, and you know some of your former teammates before this. And and one of the things that was pretty constant was how close you are with your family. Um, you know, your mom and your dad, and you obviously have three kids that play right now. Um, you know, growing up, how much of a positive influence were your parents on you? You know, not even in terms of like um, your hockey playing. And, and growing in that career, but just, you know, making sure you were a good person and, you know, instilling the values that allowed you to be uh, an unbelievable hockey player, which you are. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I grew up in a very, you know, loving environment, um, building confidence environment and, you know, learning from your mistakes and that kind of environment. And, uh, you know, my dad was a postman, but, always finish houses on the side or renovate, whatever. Uh, we grew up with that. And uh, my mom was a factory worker. So uh, my mom did a lot of the driving to practice and stuff because my dad had the two jobs. And uh, But my dad never missed a game. He'd always show up at the game. My mom would do the driving, but he would meet us at the game so he could work an extra hour. Uh, but, um, you know, there was never, there was never car rides of, you know, we should have done this, you know, X, Y, and Z. My dad always said to me, it's a lot easier from my seat. I make no mistakes from my seat. And, uh, so <clears throat> he was pretty hand off that way. Um, and I think him and my mom didn't, my mom didn't know anything about hockey. So he was actually good, but she knew a lot about life. And, you know, she was a cheerleader and always uh, picked me up when I was down, build, build, build my confidence for sure. 
as a smaller player and she'd always uh she was always uh, reassuring that everything's gonna be okay and uh, I was hard on myself in general um so you know maybe my parents definitely were never hard on me and that's not not with sport they're my dad my mom and dad were demanding with school and you know they're respecting others and all that you know but with sport they they never they never were uh, demanding yeah that's uh that's 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 great. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, kind of relating to that, is you know I was a smaller player as well. I was fortunate enough to play college hockey, and um, actually went on a recruiting recruiting visit to Vermont, um, and it didn't end up going there. But uh, um, one of the things that my parents always instilled in me as a smaller player was, you know, there are going to be setbacks for sure, and and you got to worry about the things that are in your control. But they always like they always left a message with me that you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it and you work hard at it. Um, and and, and I'm always very grateful to the fact that they did that. And uh, I was wondering, um, you know, as somebody that looked up to you as you were playing as a smaller player, is that something that your parents talked to you about a lot as well? Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, if you want something bad enough, you'll do anything to get, you know, to get it. And that might these sacrifices and whatnot. And I feel like my parents made a lot of sacrifices so that me and my sister can have a wonderful life. <laughs> Whether it's my dad working two jobs and, and my mom not having a social life just to, you know, or social life with the times at the sporting events, uh, you know, or could be, uh, you know, so my, my, my parents, we, they did the, you know, they got paid on Thursday and they did grocery Thursday night, you know, and, and my lunches were awesome on Friday. And if we didn't uh, uh, do uh, go through the pantries, uh, the pantry on on, on the weekend, uh, you know, Monday was decent. Tuesday was okay. Wednesday was terrible. <laughs> and then on Thursday, my mom would usually give me her last five dollars, and she would have crackers and cheese for lunch, and that was the norm. So you know, for them, uh, you know, they gave us an environment that we can flourish and do anything we want. We, we touch so many sports, uh, you know, but none of that was possible with the sacrifice that my parents made. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if they were sacrificed to them. I mean, I look back on it. I think I'd, I'd be doing the same thing. Like, I mean, I mean, I think when you have kids, you realize you, you understand your parents a lot better uh, because now you go through it yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, definitely was, uh, brought in an environment that, you know, what, if you put your mind to something, you can accomplish everything you want and you just gotta, you know, be honest with yourself and how much you're putting in is usually, there's a direct correlation, how much you're putting in and, 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 and how much success you're going to have with that. I absolutely love that, and we totally agree, and we talk a lot about that on our podcast. There's a lot of parents and, and a lot of youth coaches and kids that, that listen, so I think that's a message that's uh, that's just unbelievable. And another thing that we talk about, because we've had other NHL guys on here before, um, specifically I, I remember a conversation we had with Danny Briere, and we talked a lot about it, but um, you know, your career, a lot of people just kind of see you know the, the, the highlights and the Stanley Cups and the Olympic gold medals and things like that, um, but your career you know, it wasn't always a, a straight trajectory right to the top. There were a lot of ups and downs and played in a couple different eras and really had to work your way through. So, you know, we wanted to ask you and specifically talking to, you know, the kids that are out there that have hopes and dreams of playing at the highest levels. You know, what were some of the things that you did when maybe the times weren't so great? Um, the times where um, the teams weren't calling and, and maybe were telling you you were too small and things like that. How did you kind of navigate those waters? And what were some things that you did to to prove them wrong? Uh, I mean, it's confusing, you know. Sometimes it definitely gets confusing because, you know, you compare yourself to guys you played with, played against, you're at the college level, and now they're having success and you're not. Uh, or you're playing in the American League and you're – playing really well and other kids are getting called up uh, or 
you, you, some of the kids you're playing against the American League, you're, you feel like you're as good or better, and, and they're getting the looks and you're not. So sometimes it can be very confusing, especially as a, I mean, as a young adult, I guess, you know, in 22, 23. Um, but I think the, the, the biggest thing is to, I think that helped me is I never, uh, you know, through that confusing time, I made sure that I looked straight ahead and not worry so much about what's happening left and right in this confusing time. You know, what do I have to get better at? What do I need to do to get where I want to be? Not like, not waste time and saying, well, that's, that's not fair. He's there and I'm not. Why? You know, it's just you're wasting your time. I just feel if you, you know, if you, if you, if you put the blinders on through the confusing time and just go to work and be honest of what that work is or what you have to improve on, everybody's different. And I always say I was, I was a good hockey player. I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the best at one thing. I wasn't the fastest. Yeah, I had speed. I didn't have the best shot. Yeah, we got better, and you know, I worked on it. I didn't have the best head. No, but they were good enough. I thought the game pretty well. There was players around me that were better at some things, you know. But the one thing I felt that I really was elite is I felt I was elite at getting better. And and that's just you know time and and work and really being honest with yourself of what actually maybe he's holding you back or could help you to, to advance more. And, and that, that's, what's important. It's not what's happening left and right and, and, and wasting your time and feeling sorry for yourself. That's great. So, so when you say one of your biggest strengths was you, you were good at getting better, would you say it was because you were good at self-reflection and looking in the mirror and saying, Hey, like, I know I'm not doing this here, so I need to work on it. Or did you surround yourself with people who would help you and say, Hey, you need to work on this. Um, like how did, how did you get better? Yeah. Well, to me, I think, uh, you know, in my, in my era, we didn't have a uh, skills coach. We didn't have any of that. You know, you, you did everything on your own. You know, we didn't have the internet to, to learn something that some kid did in, 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 in Germany or whatever, you know, <laughs> like we didn't have that. Like, so I was, I was really, um, in touch with my, with my environment. What was, whether I, kids I would play against kids on my team, uh, how would they do certain things? And sometimes they're I was sometimes I was better than some of them than players, but they they were better at, than me at certain things. Some kids had a better shot than me. Some kids had better hands than me. I was still maybe a better hockey player, but I'm like I gotta add that to my game. I gotta add that to my game. I got you know, and guys that I play against, same thing. They were better. There's a lot of players that are better than me, and at a certain time, and all right, I gotta I gotta pick something from their game and add it to my game. So just to be aware of like, and, and, and not think that you, because you think you're a good player that, that you know it all. And you, there's no, there's no more room for growth. I always felt there was room for growth. And if you don't try to, to, to grow as a player, evolve as a player, uh, I don't care how good you are and what level you're playing at. Eventually it catches up to you. Could be two years, could be three years, could be four years. And that's why it's hard to have a long career in the NHL because there's always people chasing you. So you have to keep evolving. as well. And the game evolves too. The game changes a bit every three, four years, I feel, and you have to evolve. So for me, I always felt like I was good at that and just noticing people around me or that I played with, play against. And as good as a player I became, I wasn't like so in love with my game. I was always trying to, to to make it a bit better, you know, whatever that was. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, that self-determination is, is obviously so important if you want to play at the levels that you did um, and you had it more than everybody else. And But I, I, 
bet you if I asked you, you know, if you did it on your own, you'd probably say no. So I wanted to ask you, you know, if there were a couple guys, maybe a couple teammates that you had or, or a coach, um, whether it was growing up or, you know, maybe in college or once you got to the pros, it really had an effect on you and really kind of showed you the way and was a mentor for you. You know, who would a couple of those guys be and what did they do to, to help you along the way? Um, well, obviously growing up, I grew up in, in, uh, in Laval and my sentiment for 13 years was Eric Perrin. Yeah. We ended up going to the, uh, to, to college together, but Eric was, in, and he just retired. He just played his last year. Actually, he just got off the phone with him about an hour ago. <laughs> and, uh, and he, he was a terrific hockey player. We really, uh, learned to play together. You know, like, we were all about giving goals and, I think I became a my I, I I I became kind of a pretty good IQ. I think because of that environment I had for so long playing with a player like Eric, where at a young age, you know, he was a big part of how I kept progressing as a player through my through my youth and college, and obviously we were fortunate enough to win the cup together in Tampa in 2004. Uh, you know, and I got to college, and you know, a guy. Roger Grover was there, and Roger and I are really good friends, and he was assistant coach there. But he, uh, you know, I stayed in touch with him after college, and he was the he was a sounding board for me. And like, I knew he'd watch every game, and I would get a second opinion. And, and he wasn't critiquing my game, and more like listening and and and, and try to you know help me uh, advance and, and and solve my problems a little bit. And uh, so to this day. Uh, you know, Roger, I think played a big part in that, and in, in helping me uh, um, get to where I got. Not just uh, the on ice piece, but the mental part. Uh, so, obviously, in the NHL, uh, played with some terrific players uh, and probably better people. Uh, you know, if you look at the centermen that I got a chance to play with in Tampa Bay, I I kind of went there. Uh, me about a year to get uh, situated and get my game going, but my original sentiment was Brad Richards, uh, you know, and then I went from Richie to Vinny LeCavalier, and I went from Vinny to Steven Stamkos. So that's <laughs> <Not> three. <bad. laughs> that's three pretty good sentiments that you know I, I, you know, they were a big part of my success. Uh, you know, and Coach Tortorella who gave me that that platform like hey I'm first coach I fell at that level uh, since I played college actually that you know what I think you're pretty good and I'm going to give you a chance you know so uh, I owe a lot to you know him giving me that platform and I just kind of ran with it that's great well Marty you talked about kind of learning the mental piece and the on ice piece. Um, I, I run a training company for hockey players here in St. Louis, and they would all be really upset with me if I didn't ask you about your legendary legs. Uh, d- did you always have those tree trunks you got going on uh, in your pants yeah, or, or was I that something you developed in college <laughs> or what? No, I mean, I think I, I have uh, some good genes. Uh, my, my dad has pretty big legs. Um, and I mean, obviously I've always worked out, worked out really hard and really focused on the leg part. And, uh, I think I genetically, I think I have a pretty good, uh, ability to develop muscle. Is it, uh, is it hard for you to buy pants? <laughs> yes. yes. Like, honestly, Very. it honestly must yeah. be hard to buy pants with those things. Terrible. <laughs> like lengthwise they got to be medium but you know they don't fit very well oh uh, uh, it's the worst small guy problems like i'm the same way like I, I have to buy like you know like 30 whatever waist pants and then i have to hem them like seven inches just to just <laughs> so yeah it's not good but uh wanted to wanted to get back to, to hockey a little bit because we talk a lot about team building stuff and we talk a lot about what it takes to kind of win a championship and you obviously won the the stanley cup there with tampa bay and um one of the staples of that team as you mentioned with some of those guys you played with is obviously talent but you know, what was it about the camaraderie of that, 
that group that uh, that allowed you because we're big believers that without that camaraderie without that buy-in um you can't go to special places so you know if, if there's something or a couple things that you can point to about that team and about that group of guys and culture you know what would it be yeah no i mean i think uh leadership was everything uh you know right from you know Tortorella down, you know, we had Dave Enerchuk who came in as our captain, uh, you know, and they brought in Tim Taylor, Freddie Modine was there. Like we had some really good leaders and we were a close group. And I think it started with, you know, Dave had been in the league for a long time and understood, you know, what kind of, what kind of group usually have success what they you know they spend a lot of time together whether it's dinners and uh, you know um, after games or it could be a, I go grabbing a couple beers after a bad loss whatever it is you know like it's just there was a lot of, uh, of, of camaraderie and we were close we played we, we really cared about one another uh, so it's uh, no I wasn't shocked that we had the success that we did um, I think we caught people by surprise a little bit because I think we, um, all of us were like, weren't really established yet. You know, we were on our way as players and it just kind of like went really quick. It just happened really fast. But once it did, it just kind of like, you know, it, it made us into a Stanley Cup champion. You know, so... Uh, it wasn't overnight. It was like two, three years in the making, and and once we once we went over the hill a little bit, like we just really took off. That's awesome. Individually, and a lot, a lot of guys individually, but as a team as well. That's that's awesome, and uh, I wanted to ask you about that because you talked about you know how close you were as a group, and you talked about going to get beers uh, after a tough loss, and, and hanging out and having dinners together and stuff like that. Um, you know, in today's game, it's very individualized. A lot of the guys are really focused on their careers. A lot of guys have you know their own strength coaches that they go back and work with in the summer, and skill coaches. And I think players today that you know they work very hard, but sometimes I feel like that camaraderie and and, uh, you know, hanging out with the team and just forming those bonds gets a little bit lost because they are so focused on their own careers. Is that something that you've seen in the evolution of the game, being in it for so yeah. long? Um, and if so, is do you feel like that's – it's almost like a lost art that needs to get back if you want to win a, a truly a Stanley Cup? Yeah. Well, until you get rid of all the cell phones, it's going to be pretty hard to do, <laughs> you know? I mean, for us, when I came to the league, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, and it sure took, took me a while to, uh, to, you know, even like, I mean, I guess I had the iPhone and the texting and the emails towards, you know, in my 30s, but, you know, the first seven, eight years, um, I didn't have that. So guys, when you got on the bus, you weren't, you weren't checking your phone. You, you were talking to one another. So you weren't going to your, to your room uh, you know, and, and getting on your phone. So none of that happened. So you were like hanging out together more. So, but, uh, so I, I definitely saw a, a switch, you know, I, I live both. Uh, I, you know, I think it's great that you can be connected and, you know, with your outside friends or whatever and coaches and stuff. But like, I think it's important that, you know, that, that you do get to know your teammate and spend time with them and actually like, Know that you, you know he's a guy you're going the trenches with, and and not just you know be all about yourself. Most teams, I mean, if if if, if the best players on your team are all about themselves, it's it's going to be tough. So Marty, I I just stopped playing. Uh, uh, I played for ten years, and last year was my first year coaching um, a U18 team. And some nights on the trips, our head coach would collect the guys' cell phones to make them talk to each other, to make them sleep. And like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. If I like it or I don't like, I think it's necessary because sometimes, you know, the, the team's not, not getting that bonding. And do you think that that's something that needs to be done for these kids and for, you know, young pros, college guys, or do they need to learn how to be able to put the phone down and, 
and and socialize with their team or is it something where coaches you think need to step in and be like I'm taking the phones I'm going to force you to talk to each other I mean I think at a certain age you know I think you're going to have a tough time doing that you know, I think at the youth level you, you can probably police it a little bit more and but I think as, you know these kids are adults and at the end of the day like you know, they should recognize that. And maybe it's got to come from a position of leadership with the team. Hey, boys, you know, why don't we do this? And, you know, but at the, the, to the point of a coach is collecting phones. I don't think that's going to happen at the pro level. I mean, <laughs> I mean they're doing that. You might be able to. But, uh, you know, I don't know. To me, like, if, 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 if their most important thing in their life is their phone, you know that's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be tough to, to find success as an individual and as a team. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a good segue into you know a lot of what we talk about on this podcast, and that's youth hockey. And you have three boys that play, and and your oldest is going to play with the national team development program next year. And um, you're very involved in in coaching in youth hockey right now. And uh, yeah, as I said uh, before, we got on here, ran into Jeff Halpern uh, in uh, in the bagel shop earlier today, and and he was telling me how you know for you one of the biggest things that you uh, impart on the kids, and I'm I'm assuming it was something that was huge for you is the importance of the players coaching themselves and the importance of the players of, you know, reflecting and being self-aware. Um, is that something that you impart on the kids that you coach? And, and if so, what are some things that you do with them um, to make sure that they are coaching themselves and it always, doesn't always have to come from you? Yeah, I mean, definitely when they, especially at the Bantam level now, you know, I think like, I think the, the youth hockey is all great, fun and games. Until you get to Bantam, but now with the hitting, it becomes real. Okay, and now you have kids are developing and, you know, going through puberty at different times. And I think as, as a coach, you have to manage uh, that reality of some kids are just bigger, stronger than everybody else. And, you know, you have to... Uh, make sure you're doing the right coaching at that time. And some, it's got to come from, from them as well. Uh, but, you know, through, through video, um, you know, we try to help a little bit. Sometimes I'll, I'll have them watch video and, uh, themselves and, you know, and, 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 and whether it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's homework or, you know, I don't even call it homework, but I you know I'm telling them to find me three clips where you could have, you know, done something better and, and, and with it, with it, without the puck, you know, because to me, it's really important that they learn to play with and without it, you know, especially in the youth level, they don't understand that the game is played without it. Some kids just start playing when they have the puck on their stick and it's like it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, but yeah, they got to take some ownership, you know, about, you know, and if, it, if it's not watching a couple, you know, a couple games a month and just go and see yourself and, uh, you know, but the problem with the bigger, stronger kid is, you know, their, their strength and their size eventually narrows. So now can they, can they rely on everything else to get them, you know, out of trouble or making the right play? Uh, and sometimes the smaller kid who develops later almost has an advantage a little bit because he had to use his brain so much to survive. And now he's, he's developing physically late bloomers, so we call, and now it all comes together. And because now he finally has strength and, uh, and maybe more speed, but uh, you know, so, so I don't, I like the kids that, you know, are honest with themselves. And I, we stress on that, you know. I always tell them, you, you don't need your, your parents to, you know, to, to tell you if you played well or or good. Because honestly, like 90% of them, 95% of them, they probably, the kids know more about hockey than their parents at that point. So they should be able to self-evaluate themselves and like you know what and not 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 a good game is always because you scored two goals 
<laughs> and not a bad a bad game. It's not because you didn't score any goals either. You should have a good understanding of did you have an impact on the game, whether you scored or not scored. You know, and, and that's that's what's important. But once the kids have that. I think their game just starts growing and growing and growing and growing uh, because they self-evaluate really well. Uh, so I, 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 I try to talk about that with my players. Uh, I do video collectively, individually, individual as well, uh, you know, but not at the point where we're in the video room every day, all day, you know, it's here and there. And you don't want to take the feel out of the game. You don't want them to think so much. But well, you wanted to see what it looks like too, good or bad. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I might have got away from the question. No, question. <laughs> no, it was good. It was perfect. But I actually want to. I want to ask you about something that you talked about because this is something that we talk about all the time on the podcast, and that's playing playing away from the puck and how important it is because you only have the puck on your stick for so often during a game, um, and what you do away from it is is so, so, so important. And, um, you know, in, in talking with Jeff earlier today as well, he said that, you know, when you're coaching your kids and the teams that you've coached, uh, you know, teaching the hockey concepts and the hockey IQ and how to play away from the puck is something of, of paramount importance for to you. And uh, I completely agree. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what are some things that you do or what are some maybe concepts that you stress with the kids that you coach, things that you might have learned uh, when you were playing um, that you think it really teaches that hockey sense, hockey IQ that helps the kids go throughout their hockey careers? Well, for me, the biggest thing... Uh in hockey, with and obviously you, you know, you're five, you're five skater on the ice. And, you know, I, I always I use the term of not duplicating jobs. You know, um, so we're more we're more spread. You can support better when you can hold when you holding hands with your part with your teammate. You're probably if you can hold hands with your teammate, you're probably duplicating job. <laughs> you know. And I, and I don't know who is. It's one. I mean, I could I could look at video and tell you who's duplicating job, but just in general, just in the read and react, okay, in the read and react to make sure that you don't go duplicate job. I like that. You know, where you if somebody's already if somebody's already supporting there, go support somewhere else. But some kids want the puck so much, they only want to play when they have the puck. Then they'll go duplicate job. And now we can make one play that we can make, we cannot make the next play because we have two guys holding hands. And, you know, so if you look at the NHL level, you know, the, the puck support is, is unbelievable. And a lot of it is just, you know, guys don't duplicate job. And when the teams get in trouble, usually it's because they duplicate job on both sides of the puck. You know, if I'm if, if I'm a, if I'm attacking and I and I and I'm able to suck two guys in, then I got you. Love you that. Know I mean, whether there's miscommunication, whether there's miscommunication or misassignment, whatever it is, if I have two on me, that means I got I sucked you guys in, and I will I will probably uh, turn this into a scoring chance. Because on the offensive side of thing, if you can learn the offensive side of thing, especially entering the zone, if you can learn to play between two opponents, you're deadly. Like Kucherov is one of the best at. Yeah. If you can learn to play in between two people, uh, you know, two not not two line mates. If you can learn to play in between two opponents, who's got you? See, that's a lot of speed control. That's a lot of uh, being eyes up and understanding where everybody is. They're controlling your speed. You know, why skate hard into crap? Why not skate hard and then make them think, okay, who's got me? Once they, if they don't know who's got you, then you're usually creating time and space. And, you, and if you don't have time and space, you have two guys on you. Now you make a skill play, and that's a probably a scoring chance. So, you know. Those are the things about, you know, offensively and defensively do not duplicate job. Of that. Yeah, and that's something that Toph and I have talked about um, 
regarding amateurs and the kids, like it's not just the guy with the puck too. It's, it's the guys without the puck reading what the guy with the puck is doing. Like you said, like, don't just go towards him because he has a puck. Like maybe look for that open ice. Or if you see, he's trying to draw two guys in, you need to get the guy without the puck. You need to get somewhere where the passer can then distribute it through those two guys he's drawing in. So you're not just going around the ice, not thinking like you have to go around the ice and read and react off your teammates. And you need to be in a position to catch that puck from the guy who's drawing two guys to him. Yeah. And sometimes also it's just letting, letting the play evolve a hair. Cause sometimes it gets confusing. Who's, who's supporting. Okay. Well, sometimes both guys end up kind of like starting, like they're going to the same spot. Maybe you take a little break and, and maybe there's communication and now you reroute yourself because there was some kind of, there's eye contact or communication and you reroute yourself. And now you let the play evolve and now you're more in a support position. Uh, and, and usually you have more options. You, 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 you give the puck carrier more options and that's what you want. You don't want the, the puck carrier to end up having to die with the puck because he has no option. A lot of time, like turnovers are created, not just because of the guy with the puck, but the guys without the puck didn't do their job. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And let me ask you this, because the game has changed, um, you know, so much over the past, you know, five, ten years. And um, you know, one of the things that you're hearing, especially at the youth hockey, but also at at the highest levels in pro hockey too, is is playing fast and playing fast and playing fast. It's something we talk about on the podcast, and which is important. You have to think fast the higher the levels that you go because guys are bigger, stronger, faster, smarter. Um, but I feel like the, the term poise is kind of getting lost a little bit today with all this um, determination on playing fast. Is that something that you see as well as you know one of the most poised players to, to play the game? Um, what would you say to that? Well, I mean, poise is a big thing, you know, but... There's a big there's a big difference between playing fast and rushing it. Yeah. Because a lot of kids get confused between playing fast and, and rushing it. Like because why play fast when you have zero options? So you're gonna skate hard into crap. <laughs> why skate hard into crap? Why not like have some deception in your game where you'll take two hard strides and then you'll slow down, back people up because you're by yourself. You're on a one-on-two. How many guys can take, can go on a one-on-two and have a success rate, generate a scoring chance? It doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. Every now and then, and it's on, it's on ESPN or whatever, NHL Network, you know, but now the kids see that and they think, oh, I got to do that. Now this, this happens like 3% of the time. So you're going to put all your basket and 3% of, of, of the time, you know? So that's, to me, that's not playing the game. That's playing fast, but it's playing stupid. <laughs> so thank you. So there's a big, the big difference into playing fast and rushing it. You don't want to rush it like rushing. Not, I mean, not, I mean, it's getting the puck up, rushing it as, as in playing almost too fast. Like uh, there's space behind the opponents and you have good speed. Yes. But, but to me, it's more like, Think quick, not play fast. If you think quick, you'll play fast. You'll play at the speed that it needs to be played at. But if you think you're playing fast because they're going 100 miles an hour all the time, how can you think the game going 100 miles an hour all the time? There's no way. At some point in time, to me, on every shift, you should probably hit top speed. I don't know when that is. Could be on the back check. Could be on driving the net. At some point, it's, you're gonna have to hit top speed. But you're not gonna be top speed your whole shift. It's impossible. If you are, you're not thinking the game. So there's a big misconception of playing fast and and uh, you know playing at the pace that probably needs to be played at, and that varies all the time. Uh, that's part of the IQ. Managing your your speed, it's part of the thinking the game. Uh, but uh, speed is important, but at the right time. I, lo- 
know know where sorry to cut you know where the puck is going to be, not where it is. So you have to think in the future. Know if you're gonna if you're if you're if you're now know where it's gonna go, not where the puck is now. Where where do you need to put the puck? You know, so they, they know your know your options before you get it. Because if you get the puck and now look for your options, it's too late. Yeah, it's, I tell the kids that I that I coach, like, I want you guys playing chess, not checkers. As you're playing, I want you thinking that move ahead as opposed to checkers where, you just, you know, you just throw the pieces around the board. Like, chess is more <laughs> methodical, you know. I mean, obviously yeah, no, the way. Yeah, I agree. There's time, yeah. there's time for both. Right. And you got to figure out when that is. <laughs> and that's oh, that's the hard part. part. <laughs> that's the hard part. Yes, yes. Oh, that's unreal. Well, the one other thing that, you know, just in hearing you talk and, and as a smaller player, um, it's something that, that I tried to, to, you know, really emulate in my game was the speed change. And you talked about that a little bit and, and how important that speed change is and when and knowing when to change speeds. Um, is that something that you talk about with your players a lot? And do you feel like that that was a, a thing that you implemented in your game uh, when you were playing as well? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was important. You know, like as a player that if you're playing against, like, and in today's game, there's so much back pressure. Yeah. Okay. When I played, it wasn't as much back pressure. There was at some point towards the end of my career, but you know, so there was, you could, you could create a lot of room behind you by going, by going, you know, by going fast north, you could push these back and then like kind of slow it down, you know, and cut across. <laughs> Well, yeah. now it's really hard to do that. You really have to pick your spots. <laughs> and that's why up. you need, yeah, and you need, you need, you know, you need your, the, the puck support has, it's so important to create space. You know, the, 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 the changing speed is so important to create space. Um, so it's, it's, it's not like one thing there's so many things, but they're both with and without the puck uh, that you're able to to create space. And, Already out. Um, it's very gray. It's not black and white. Hockey's not football. You're not running around. You're not like, you know. It's it's yep. very gray. And, yep. and and you have to you have to make quick decisions. But you know if you can think in the future all the time, not think in the present. You're always going to try to be a, a move ahead and that's with and without the puck. I'm just a puck carrier. To, to get good at that, Marty, did you ever get into like visualization before games or anything? Because we've had on mental coaches and um, you know, people who, who are, are focusing on different ways to visualize things before the game and seeing yourself in situations before you even play the game and working on the mental side. Did you ever do any of that stuff in your career? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, getting dressed before the game, you know, I put position, I, I visualize myself coming across the middle or be on the breakaway or two on one stuff like that. You know, but I, I, I always tried in practices not just go through the drill and get my reps in. I really try to, every drill, every reps I got, I always put myself in the game, in my mind, you know. So, just for instance, going to two-on-one. Well, unless the, the, the drill is designed with tons of back pressure, your two-on-one means nothing in today's game. How many times are you going to get a two-on-one with no back pressure where you can take, you can go as slow as you want. <laughs> That'd be nice. Huh? not going to happen. <laughs> yes. So I always felt whether there was back pressure or no back pressure, I always tried to play it in my mind and in my reps, do it at game speed, you know, so that I felt like it prepared me better for the game. And some drills, sometimes they, they don't, they don't look like anything, but they're actually like, Oh, oh, this could happen in the game, and like so, I try to put myself in the game mode, and um, I think I, I definitely benefit from that. 
Absolutely. I think that's uh, that's awesome as coaches trying to put your players in situations that are game-like too, I think is is really important. Yeah, gone are the days of, of slow two-on-one drills and, and stuff like that. So I think that's that's incredible. Well, Marty, we've had you, we've had you on here for quite some time, um, but I'd remiss, be remiss if uh, I didn't ask you about what was what things were like right now with you in, in life after hockey and you're a co-founder of a company called Seven. Um, so if you can, just kind of tell our listeners and uh, just what you kind of have going on. I know you're a hockey dad and a hockey coach as well, but how's that transition to life after hockey been and how are you enjoying being uh, almost like dad as a full-time job as well? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been busy. I mean, I, I, I went from, you know, being a player and you don't be in the rink every day uh, as a player. And I, I switched to, you know, being in the rink a lot as just as a coach. Uh, I still get to, you know, travel a little bit with my kids and, and go compete with them and I just don't have to play, which is kind of, kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it's fun. You know, I, I, I was able to, to coach them all and still I'm now I'm going to coach the younger two. My oldest is, is moving to Michigan. Uh, so I'm focused on the younger two now, but, uh, you know, we just came, uh, we're driving back from the lake house in Quebec and we skate, we skate up there and I enjoy that. It's just the three of us, the four of us on the ice. It's a lot of fun. And, um, I like to see them grow as, as players and as human. Uh, you know, I think our biggest job as coaches, parents is, you know, to make good human. And if they become great at something along the way, that's a bonus and that's going to be because they have the passion for it. Uh, so obviously my boys have a pretty good passion for hockey. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, put, put some, put some gas on their fire with, with some of my knowledge and trying to help them out, but you know, not at the price of not making good human. And that goes for all the players that I coach, not just my kids. So, you know, being a good teammate is probably the number one thing you can be as an athlete not many teams that you won't make if you're a good teammate. Uh, if you're a bad teammate, you know, I don't care how good you are, you're going to have a tough time to, to keep moving forward. Uh, in terms of seven, the company is called 7-7. Seven seven. Uh, it's uh, kind of a mini version version of Shark Tank. <laughs> nice. Oh, it's my favorite show. <laughs> yeah, so we, we just, we just uh, thought, you know, companies come and pitch and we try to, you know, we're, we're mostly in the sports innovation kind of stuff, but it's fun. It's about nine to five and, and we have a good, uh, we have a good group uh, involved and, and that we can uh, really, uh, you know, go through the process and, and, and do our due diligence with the companies and whether we invest in them or not. And, uh, you know, you know, we, if we see fit, we will invest. If we don't, we won't. And it's, uh, it's been fun. Which guy are you? Are you are you like Mark Cuban? Or are you like uh, Mister Wonderful? Where you're kind of a dick to him? Or are you the nicer guy? Or which Shark Tank guy are you most like? Oh uh, gosh, I don't know. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm surrounding myself with uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty good uh, guys that uh, I've been doing it, know what they're doing. So I'm still learning, but I enjoy it. Gotcha. Surround yourself with the best people. That's uh, that's the big thing in life, right? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. If you surround yourself with people smarter than you, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, I always try to be the dumbest guy in the room. That's for sure, and I do a pretty good job of that a lot of the yeah. time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Marty, thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, this has been amazing, and um, I have to tell you, I didn't want to tell you at the beginning of this interview, but uh, you know, uh, you were a huge inspiration for me. I was a younger, smaller kid growing up, and um, you know, wore twenty six in college, wore twenty six in pro hockey, and uh, you know, your success and and how you did it was uh, was a huge inspiration for me. So this has been a thrill for me to do this with you, and uh, congrats on all of your successes, and obviously, best of luck with uh, with your new ventures and and with being a great hockey dad there out in Connecticut as well. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, have fun with the podcast and good luck with that. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much, buddy. Safe travels. Thanks a lot, Marty. You got it. Okay. All right. Thanks.